0: The way we played tonight was championship-caliber baseball. I mean, you know, we scored five runs. It was tough for us a little bit offensively, but obviously putting up five runs is a is a good night. But the amount of big-time plays that these guys made on defense, the amount of big pitches they made in big spots, because I thought Minnesota brought it tonight, and they played well, and they created opportunities. But our guys, time and time again, were able to foil something with a great defensive play or a big-time pitch, and just
1: really proud
0: of that
2: effort well flip that was Yankees manager Aaron Boone immediately after their game three ALDS victory over the twins saying his team played like champions in that game hard to argue
1: you can't argue they did they, the Yankees did play like champions I mean the Yankees pitched the starting pitching there was a lot of questions about the starting pitching but I mean Tanaka was terrific Severino was was you know, and he got himself in trouble. he had, He lacked command. He had a few things going on, but he pitched himself out of trouble every time he got in it. And I thought that was really gutsy of him. He, you know there were a lot of questions about their the small sample size about his postseason uh, you know the repertoire and his ability to hold up under the Cleeg lights. but he, he did a great job. He was terrific. And Paxton did well enough, I mean, considering that he hadn't pitched in a week. And they did fine. Yankee bullpen was outstanding. Their defense, the Yankees hit. They, they wore them they, they wore them down. They, they took the Yankees just you wore out the uh, twin pitching. The twin pitching was not up to the task of taking on the Yankee bats. But the Yankee defense, to me, was stellar. And uh, to me, pitching defense always makes a difference.
2: The bottom line, the Yankees were far superior every aspect. We'll get more into this Um a whole lot of ALDS conversation, uh, without a doubt. We'll look into the ALCS as well. But before we get into that, real quick, Flip, let's talk about our guest yes, this week. Yes, let's do that. Um, you know, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit and say that we already recorded this conversation. Right. And, and I say that now because I can tell you in all honesty, it's one of the greatest conversations we've had on this podcast.
1: Uh, Sean McManus is the chairman of CBS Sports. He's been a longtime friend for, I've known him 40 years. And uh, he's the son of the legendary uh, sports broadcaster Jim McKay, and Jim McKay was a total gentleman and a total professional. And Sean is very much a total gentleman, and a total professional, and he's done a wonderful job of uh, being a caretaker to some great events that CBS has, and uh, and uh, always uh, underscores excellence in everything that he does. So he's a great guest. We talked about having people from not only the world of you know baseball and and sports broadcasting. But we also talked about having some some people in the uh, some world of media and CBS. Obviously, CBS Sports is obviously extremely large in that area. And Sean is the chairman, so he's he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's uh, uh, was it was a wonderful interview, and I, I'm you know we're, we're fortunate to get him.
2: Very happy with it. We talked uh, the future of sports broadcasting. We talked gambling. We talked about sports rights fees. We talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about a whole bunch of things. Um, so please. Uh, stick around for that. That was a great interview. Um, but let's get back to the ALDS with the Yankees and Twins. Um, my opinion, Baldelli blew it when he tapped Dobnak for game two.
1: Well, hindsight's twenty-twenty, right? I, I, going I, in, I, I you couldn't... know, I I you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I would have gone with Odorisi, but I, so I sort of understood – look, they, they did not have, a, like, a lot of depth in their starting pitching. I mean, really, they really didn't. If did, because just based on the move that they had to make, whether you pitched Dominic in two or you pitched him in three, they had to pitch him. So, but
2: 1-1 one, one or 0-2 oh, is a big difference. D- no
1: no doubt. No doubt. And and you go you want your experience you, – you wanted to – for them to be in the series, because it's, you know, best of five, you really had a split at the stadium once the Yankees took the first two, it was Herculean, as far as I was concerned, for the Twins to overcome that. They did not have the pitchers to do it. And the Yankees figured out right away that, you know, the sc- Yankees' advanced scouting was great because they said to them, don't throw them fastballs. They, oh, they out-homered the Yankees. I know it was only by one, but they out-homered them in the regular season. I mean, they, they set a record in the, in the regular season. So the, that those guys could hit long ball, but, you, but they're dead red, dead fastball hitters. The Yankees knew that. They stayed away from the other than Severino having to do it because that's his strength. They stayed away from fastballs wherever they could. The relievers stayed away from. It. They reverse engineered this, as I said, uh, at some point. They they are. They were well—the Yankees were just—they rested their bullpen in the month of September, you know, and, and it probably cost them whole field advantage throughout. But you know what? Getting ready for the playoffs is more important than the home field. It is because you've got to be rested. You've got to be ready. And the Yankees gave their bullpen a lot of rest, knowing that this is the way they would have to go about this, probably through now and if the Yankees get through the next series to the World Series as well. That's the way they managed this. That was their execution, and that was their game plan, and the Yankees executed it flawlessly.
2: I'm going to do a little bit more uh, Rocco Baldelli uh, criticizing. And, and I want to be up front. I think he's a great manager, certainly in the manager of the year running. Uh, I think it goes to th- Boone personally.
1: Th- it, I, I, I suppose it will. It's either Boone or Baldelli. It's one or the other.
2: Right. right. So don't, don't get me wrong uh, when I say this, but I really didn't like his comments after the game either, after the series where, hey, this is a great series, or this is a great season for us. It was a special moment. He was saying how great the season was. You won 101 games. You can't get swept in the ALDS.
1: You, no, no, you can't. But you know what? I, I don't necessarily agree with what you just said, only because I the whole statement, if you listen to the whole statement, first he congratulated the Yankees and he said what a great team the Yankees had. I love that. Yeah. And they deserved, they were the better team. They deserved to win, which is you know the right thing to do. And the Yankees were. He just acknowledged that. So a lot, a lot of times in sports that you don't get the acknowledgement. So let's give him props for that, one. Yes. Two. He he's he, listen he's the he's the team he's the manager of the team he's management his the, they played they played hard they had a big lead they blew it to the Indians and then then they were able to claw back and, and, and manage to win the division they were not a great baseball team they the first half they were great the second half they weren't so he he did everything he could he, what he's trying to do is just build his base for the future you know these guys are now going to go home he doesn't want them hanging their heads in the postseason saying you know listen we we got swept by the Yankees we're not very good these these are the these are the guys that he's going to have to you know be in the fray with next year most of them and you know he wants to, them to leave with their heads held high as he said he was doing that for morale more than anything else yes. so I mean I if get he, that. you got he's got to separate that kev if you separate that I, you know I understand your point your point is not is not is not a weak one it's a strong point but but again it does come down to him it's about morale and it's about saying the right thing for your troops I mean that's you know that's yeah. management good management 101 right
2: it is, it is. Um, and you're right. You're definitely right. But if um, he truly does believe that, it seems like that that could be the defeatist attitude that's okay in Minnesota. Like, oh, look how far we got.
1: Uh, like I said, what was he going to say? The, the Yankees just so totally, uh, you know, mauled them. I mean, mauling is the only word I can think of. I mean they, 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 the Yankees they, they, they hit their pitchers, they hit their starters, they hit their relievers. They they made a see, I'll tell you where that were they showed me something, okay? This is what doesn't show up in the box score. They tried so hard, and they, they had the Yankees on the ropes four or five times in Game 3. They should have won Game 3. They should have scored 10 runs. But the Yankees, every time the, the Minnesota mounted an attack, the Yankees denied it. The Yankee defense was all over the place. I mean, you know, LeMayu at first made some incredible—Torres made that play. Judge made that catch in the outfield. Didi made that k- catch later on in the game, that line drop. They were—the Yankee defense was incredible. They played as good a defensive game as you could play. So, th- I mean, I think that is the deflator. That's yeah. what deflates you when you're, you're home. You've got your home crowd, and you're putting on a great effort to win. And everything you do, I mean, how many shots did they have? The production of, was great. You know, yeah. where you see the close-ups. You see Sano's face. or You see the dugout's face. Saying, I can't believe. There was a shot of, they didn't really show this, but Didi makes his catch uh, late in the game. Uh, to, to deny. Marlon uh, Gonzalez was at second base. And you could see it on the wide shot. He took his hands, he put on his helmet. Put yeah. on, his, on his head, like, oh, my God. I mean, can't, what do we have? to do to, to get a hit we have to score some runs here The Yankees are just all over the place they never showed that as a replay they should have I'm sure they had it uh, you know, but having said that the Yankee defense was all over and that's, it's a deflator the Yankees deflated them that's what happened
2: there was never a moment in game 3 where I thought the Yankees were going to lose I,
1: I didn't either Included. Well they made it interesting though. I mean in early early innings of that word there was a lot of tension in that game again because Severino was kind of pitching in and out of trouble and it would come and again the Yankees started that denial thing where they started denying them right there. Severino denied them there. The Yankee pitchers and the Yankee defense did some job on the twins. That's really what it was. They they cut down an offense that was a home run hitting offense and just and I mean limited them to almost nothing.
2: How much did you love that fire from Seve,
1: oh, it was great. I you know, loved he, it. he had a change of perception. There was a perception, and it came came because of the Red Sox series last year, where I mean, it was late warming up, and then, and then he went out and he got he got hammered, and you know, and, and then and then and then Girardi had to. I mean, there was the year before Girardi had to. There was all kinds of things going on in Severino's career. Wild card game against the Twins two years ago, this this righted that ship. He sent a message: I'm back. I'm fine. I can pitch, and I can not only pitch, but I can be a dominant pitcher again. He he sent that message, and he he sent it in spades. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking
2: um, what a difference a decade makes because, um, or a decade plus. We saw Sevi celebrating, fired up. Remember not that long ago when Java would do similar things and it was unacceptable then. April. Y-
1: yeah. Well, yes. I mean, the people, fr- it's still, you know, they, you know, I know they're doing promos now that say, you know, we're young. We have a good time. Let the kids play. Let the kids play. And it's it's a good promo. And, you know, it's right. I mean, I don't have problems with celebrations. You know, a lot. listen, when you're, when you're in the heat of the moment and you give up a home run and somebody starts dancing around the bases, it's going to bother you. It really is. You know you 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 or, you or they so they strike you out and then they start celebrating on the mound it's gonna bother the hitter it bothers you it, teams are bothered by that you know th- there's all kinds of payback that comes from things like that people take too long go on a basis you'll find you get stuck with a ball in the ribs it's frontier justice okay that's what that's what the game is sometimes it's part of the game I don't have a problem if you celebrate I just don't that's just me but a lot of people do and I, but that's what makes it what it is it's it's polarizing
2: yeah, I don't have a problem with it. There is a line. I don't need you throwing the bat out into the outfield on no, your bat no, flip. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Yeah, I get it. I mean, right. And you don't have to take 11 minutes to go around the bases either. <laughs> cadillac you know? Right. Right.
2: Uh, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kevin Sullivan. I work in the digital media department here at the YES Network. To my left is Mr. John J. Filippelli. You've heard his name. Over the last 18 years on Yankees broadcasts, Flip, you are uh, five decades in, right? Yes, five decades. So you've seen a lot. Yes, and you bring that to this podcast.
1: Uh, I hope I bring something to this podcast, to <laughs> other than good looks, other than my, my and my, my hairline. <laughs> well,
2: I don't have a hairline.
1: Uh, I was seeing, I saw Michael K on assignment okay, so I was watching Michael K.
2: Speaking of hairlines,
1: he's got a little, uh, he's got a little power alley going on there on both both sides. <laughs> I would
2: kill for his hair.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what's left of it, I would kill for it too. Yeah,
2: Oof, look at my Twitter picture at Sullivan Yes, at Sullivan Yes. Look at my Twitter, no I mean, hair.
1: Well, just you Photoshop it, right? Get your Photoshop. Maybe I'll do.
2: That's a great idea.
1: The only good idea I've had in five decades.
2: Uh, you asked me to be your po- your co-host. That was a great idea.
1: It was, if you say so. It was. <laughs> I agree. And we have our, our QP. We have a good QP. QP
2: Jason Marshall. Thank you, Jason. Uh, plenty to talk about this week. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Uber chance. We have both have opinions on the Uber chance. We're going to wrap up the ALDS a little bit. We'll preview the ALCS. Um, we're going to see how smart we are.
1: Or how dumb we are.
2: I prefer to think we're smart.
1: You know, I think we split the difference. So that, what does that make us? Half, half something.
2: Half, uh, half <laughs> smart? Semi-smart.
1: <laughs> all right. It makes us something. Somewhere in that netherland between smart and dumb.
2: Fake it till you make it, Flip. That's how I got here. There you go. Fake <laughs> it till you make it. Before all that, though, we have that great interview, as we promised, with the chairman of CBS... Sean, cbs sports i should say sean mcmahon is coming up
1: i'm thrilled to have him he's uh he's uh he's one of the outstanding professionals in our business uh he's one also one of the really good guys in our business he does so many things very philanthropic he and his wife tracy uh Marcha dimes he's the chairman of of that that presentation, which every year is a, its an industry dinner, and uh, I'm sorry, industry lunch, and everybody goes because it's a chance for everybody to see everybody, number one, and we don't get a lot of those chances. The Emmys would be another. Uh, but we, So you can see everybody, but more importantly, it's a wonderful cause that raises a lot of money and Sean is at the epicenter of it and has put it together and has really been, uh, raised millions of dollars for the March of Dimes and uh, it speaks to what a good guy he really is. So it, to me, I've known him forever. I mean, I don't say I know him from his little kid, I, I actually do. Uh, but I know his father, I knew his father really well. He, when I was at ABC Sports, his father worked with me and uh, one of the outstanding gentlemen in the history of the business and great talent as well. So it's not surprising that. Sean grew up the way he did. And uh, it's great to have him as a guest. I'm thrilled to have him. And we said we'd go outside a little bit. We'd do some sports media, not always just, you know, baseball players and, and, and uh, announcers and people behind the mic. We decided we, we would venture a little bit off-road. And, and, uh, and that's, this is a way of keeping our promise, but also giving you a very entertaining guest, a way to go behind the curtain, as, as you said.
2: You're right, Flip. We do keep our promise. We do have CBS Sports Chairman Sean McManus right after this. <laughs>
1: The Yankees are back in the postseason and on the chase for 28. One of the great sport franchises of all time. This October, get in-depth analysis on the field and
2: inside the clubhouse from the network that knows the Bombers best. Catch Yankees pre- and post-game coverage around every playoff game right here on YES.
1: Welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan, and our very special guest at this time is the chairman of CBS Sports, Sean McManus. Sean is someone I've known for, I don't know, 40 years, I guess. Uh, he, he's grown up the son of a legendary sportscaster Jim McKay. Uh, like I said, over 40 years in the business. He's been in charge of CBS Sports for the last 23 years, and he is, without equivocation, one of the best people in this industry, not only professionally speaking, but personally speaking. So at this time, I welcome in the chairman of CBS Sports, Sean McManus. Hello, Shawnee. How are you?
0: Good, John. How are you? It's exciting time to be in the baseball business, so uh, you, you must be having a good fall.
1: You know we are. It's uh, it is exciting around here. Postseason always puts a little uh, more, you know, lilt in your uh, lilt in your step. If there's not such thing as lilt in the step, is there? I mean, now there say, is. Now there is. No, all right, there's lilt in your step when you have uh, postseason baseball, and and you know I, I, that's great. There's nothing like postseason baseball. Uh, although yeah, do, you have,
0: uh, I do appreciate the introduction, and I remember those days when we were both uh, back in. At uh, NBC Sports in the late, uh, you know, 1970s and early 1980s, we go back a long way. So it's um, it's it's good to talk to you, and I'm uh, I'm pleased to be on your podcast.
1: Well, thanks again, Sean. I know you got a lot going on, and uh, we were talking about uh, you know having great uh, sporting events just a a few seconds ago. And boy, you still have a slew of them at CBS. You really do. You have the NFL. And the Masters and the Final Four. I mean, it's a you have a great list of events. And uh, how do you prepare, Sean, as president, as chairman of CBS Sports? You know, what do you tell your 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 people in terms of preparing for a big event? How do you make sure that they're prepared for a big event?
0: You know, the good news is we have a really experienced um, uh, uh, group of people here, and most of these projects are year long. I mean, we have meetings with the NCAA and Turner, who is our partner on the NSA Basketball Championship, you know, pretty much all throughout the year. So the preparation, you know, we're already talking about the Super Bowl, which we're doing in um, in 2021. You know, I've got a really good team that knows how to prepare for events, and it's not as if you start preparing for the NSA Basketball Championship on February 15th. We actually had a meeting with Turner last week, to talk about new production ideas for the, uh, for the Final Four. Uh, we've already had our first Super Bowl meeting, believe it or not, for 2021. So I'm a firm believer in year-round preparation and constantly touching the properties um, that we produce. Um, and that's the really, that's the, the fun part of my job is that you know, one day I get to work on preparation for the masters, which we talked about this week. You know, the next day I get to talk about the Final Four or the Super Bowl, um, or I talk about, you know, what game we're going to select for our SEC football game this week. Are we going to do – we had this discussion last week. Are we going to do the um, Florida-LSU game, or are we going to do an Auburn game or a Texas A&M game against Alabama? So it's you've been in the business, John, so you can appreciate this. It never stops, and the preparation is year-round, and that's part of the reason why it's so much fun to be in this business.
1: Prep is year-round, and the events are obviously well-viewed and take a lot of preparation, as you just talked about. But what, keeps you, what would keep you up at night, Sean? You mentioned about preparation being everything, and it is the key. I, I agree with that, but what keeps you up at night? If you, there's one thing that keeps you up at night, what would it be?
0: Well, it would be a couple of things. One right now is, um, you know, on our big rights negotiations. We're uh, at at the moment we're involved in a PGA Tour negotiation. We will be uh, involved in an NFL negotiation sometime in the next couple of years. Um, So, what what doesn't necessarily keep me up, but what really what really gives me a lot of um, necessitates me a lot of thinking is how to renew our big rights deals in a financially responsible way. And sports has become so important to broadcast television and cable television that the rights fees have gotten astronomical. So part of my job is figuring out, as an example, in the next two years or so, how we keep the NFL on CBS and still make it a financially responsible deal. That that. Uh, if anything keeps me up, it's trying to be creative and coming up with ways to generate more revenue, to make the event more important to CBS, and figure out a way to keep it on, um, on CBS. You know, we're in a, as I said, uh, the public knows this, we're in a negotiation right now with the PGA Tour. So as I am falling asleep at night, it doesn't necessarily keep me up, but it's probably one of the last things I think about is how can we do a deal? It's good for the PGA Tour, that's good for the viewer, that's good for the sponsor, and is good for CBS. Um, the other thing that keeps me up at night is, and we all share this fear if we're involved in big events, doing having something happen during a telecast that is beyond your control. And the best example I can think of in that is the blackout in New Orleans at the Super Bowl when the Ravens were playing the 49ers, totally out of left field. We weren't prepared for it. We didn't do anything wrong, but the power in the stadium went out, and my first big fear was that they were still playing football, but the, tr- the power in the trucks had gone out. That would have been an unmitigated disaster. As it was, the lights went out. Um, we did a pretty good job telling the story. We probably could have done a better job, but it completely took every plan that we had for the Super Bowl and completely threw it out the window, and we were dealing with a news event and a crises event that we hadn't anticipated. So, you know, the night before the Super Bowl or the night before the Masters or the night before the SEC championship game or the night before the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, what I'm thinking about at night is how to make sure we don't make a mistake, we don't miss a play. You know, in the Super Bowl, you want to make sure you have that exact right replay. You know, was the receiver's second foot down? Was it out of bounds? Was his knee down? And I just really um, I worry about not doing a great job on one of these big events. So that, um, if anything, keeps me up at night. It's it's the um, unpredictability of what might happen and the necessity of making sure we do a really good job on every event that we cover.
1: As you mentioned before, and that's a, that's a great answer, by the way. As you mentioned before, it's it's a lot of it is preparation and being prepared for these events as as best you can. And having great people to, to, you know, help support you and make sure that the, your vision is carried out. But at the end of the day, there are things that are just going to be out of your control. And, and that would be, see, that's what keeps me up at night. It's what it's what's out of your control. What's in your control, you have, when we you say you have great people, you put your faith in them. But when, when it's something that's out of your control and out of your, your purview, it's just, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. But it is enough to cause me a lot of sleeplessness sometimes because you worry about those things. But
0: You do. And, and like in the Super Bowl... You know, our ratings are appreciably higher if we have a good game. So you worry about a blowout. I worry about that, um, you know, in the PGA Tour, I worry about a golfer coming down the 17th hole with a four-stroke lead or a five-stroke lead. I think the same thing about the Masters and the PGA Championship. Uh, You want really good drama. And as you well know, John, many times um, the perceived quality of your broadcast is directly relatable to the uh, closeness of the game. If we have a great story like we did with Tiger Woods at the Masters this year, our telecast is perceived as being much better than if Tiger or someone else had a five- or six-shot lead. So the, you know, the best sports broadcasts are normally the ones that go down to the final second or the final down um, um, or the final inning. And you can't control that. And I just sit there, and if we have a blowout, I say it is what it is. We've got to do the best job that we possibly can. But to do all this preparation and have a game that doesn't live up to the hype is very frustrating. But it is what it is, and you're right. You worry in this business, like all businesses, about what you can control. And I can control the quality of the production. I can control who we assign as announcers. But we can't control a blackout, and we can't control a blowout.
1: Blowouts in many ways are are actually a a larger challenge because, you know, you don't have a a game, a a good script to work with. When you don't have a good script to work with, you're forced to sort of, I don't say manufacture, but you're forced to, you know, find things that are interesting to try to hold an audience. And that's in many ways that's more challenging than having a great game, which kind of holds itself, obviously. So, yeah, from that standpoint, absolutely.
2: Sean, one of the things we're keeping an eye on here, just like everybody else, is uh gambling in sports. And I'd like to get your opinion. What do you think is gonna happen to sports broadcasts in the future now that gambling's making its way in?
0: You know, that's a really good question. And um, you know, we're looking at it very carefully. Um I, I think what you wanna do, um and keep in mind it's only it's only legal in a dozen states or so. What you want to do is figure out a way to provide the information in a telecast, whether it's graphically or whether it's verbally. Uh, integrate some gambling information, whether it's the over-under, whether it's the, uh, the betting line, whether it's the money line. You want to give, I think, probably some information, primarily in your pregame show, not in your game broadcast that satisfies the gambler at home but doesn't alienate the person who's not gambling. Because let's face it, a lot of people are gambling. but There are an awful lot of people who aren't gambling. Right now, we have not um, decided to let our announcers in NFL or in college football, you know, talk about the the line or the over-under in the broadcast itself. I think, you know, once you open that door, where do you stop? Um, you know, do you mention the over-under once a quarter or twice a game? I think our, our, game, our job basically is to cover a football game, you know, not to talk about the you know, the betting lines and all that. And as a practical matter, people who are gambling have access to enormous amounts of information, primarily on the Internet. There isn't much that I can say in a pregame show or a broadcast of a game that's going to add a whole lot of information or texture to what the gambler already has. I do think it's an opportunity with respect to engagement. I think in gaming, whether you're betting on trying to predict uh, whether the next play is going to be a pass, whether Russell Wilson is going to throw a touchdown pass in his first possession, I do think that kind of engagement in the game, a little bit like fantasy, can actually increase viewer engagement and potentially could increase people to be more engaged with uh, with the broadcast. It's also an opportunity with respect to advertising dollars, since most of these operators want to advertise. Whether it's William Hill or FanDuel or DraftKings, they want to, um, you know they want to advertise their products. So it's increased advertising dollars for us, but we're taking a very um, you know a very cautious step. In our pregame show now on our what we call the bottom line, which is the ticker that goes across the bottom of the screen, you know we're including um, the point spread, and we're including the over under. And in most of our final scoreboards, only in our studio show, we're showing the results of the um, of the over under and the, and the money line. But we're doing it or the betting line, excuse me. But we're doing it very cautiously, and we want to make sure it doesn't in any way, take over the broadcast or alienate the large group of people who don't happen to be gambling on a broadcast.
1: Sean, sports and politics sometimes get intertwined, and what do you do or what do you say to your production groups when it deals with politics, uh, you know, getting involved in sports and the political statements being made, knowing that we're in the business of entertainment and we sort of need to address stories, but principally... You know, our job is to, you uh, report, but it also is to cover sports. And so how do you separate the two?
0: You know, we, uh, John, as you know, we never tell our announcers what to say or what not to say. One of the reasons we hire them is because they have strong opinions. Having said that, I think their job basically during a football game or a golf tournament or a basketball game um, is to cover the game on the field. And that's their primary responsibility. I think getting into a political discussion um, is not appropriate during game coverage. Um, if there is something that directly relates to the sporting event, like a national anthem protest or uh, something like that, we try to cover the story journalistically. We don't try to inject our opinion into that coverage, and we try to make sure that it doesn't overwhelm the reason that we're there, which is to produce a, a sporting event. So. Um, you know, we 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 also realize that sports, in many ways, is an escape from the real world, and people want to focus on who's winning and who's losing and who's having a good game and who's not having a good game, and I think that um, that escape and that refuge is something we want to maintain. So I I, I think you know don't give any specific instructions, which we, which which we don't do, but basically stick to our job, which is you know calling a. Um, calling an athletic competition on the field and not what's happening necessarily off the field.
1: I always tell our people that something if you're involved in and something political happens our job is to report it. Our job is not to give opinion it's just to report it let people know this is what was said this is what happened on the court and we'll let other people decide what they want to decide and it's uh, we're not going to get into the business of politics but I do tell them address it honestly just say say what happened report it but you know, let people decide what they want to decide. We report it, we say what we need to say, and then we move on and that's yeah, the okay. best advice i could I could possibly give them. so
0: I think that's the right approach.
1: Sean, before we let you go, I want to make the sports fans
2: listening a little jealous. Do you actually make it to all these events, the Super Bowl, the masters, and whatnot?
0: I do. Um, I remember when I first got my job um, I was was in the middle of April, and I was talking to one of my friends who's in the financial world, and he said to me, how's your new job going? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I'm really exhausted. He goes, why are you so tired? I said, listen, I started out in January going to the AFC championship game. I then went to the Super Bowl. Uh, The week after that, we had the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am out in the Monterey Peninsula. After that we had the Final 4 and I you know I got ready to prep for the Final 4 and was in the studio and then was was at the game itself in um, in Indianapolis for the Final 4 and then the week after that I was at the Masters producing that so I'm really I'm really really tired and my friend said to me please don't tell me they pay you to do this job <laughs> and I you know I realized at that point how incredibly lucky we all are who are in this business to get to literally go to these big events, be on the inside of the events, produce them for audiences of millions and millions of people. And that's our job. And I wake up every morning uh, happy and glad and feeling so incredibly fortunate that I've been given this opportunity to you know, to run CBS Sports. Uh, listen, there are pressures involved. We all have budgetary constraints. We all have bottom lines to hit. Uh, we all have revenue numbers to hit. Uh, we all, you know, want and need good television ratings, which we can't always control. Uh, so, listen, there are a lot of pressures that we face, but by uh, by and large, it's just a, an incredibly enjoyable way to make a living. And I, um, you know, I I, I thank um, I thank the Lord every morning when I wake up that I get to do this job.
1: Sean, if you could go back in time and pick one event in the history of sports television, and you could be in the truck for, you could televise on your network, and you've been involved in a lot of great moments in the course of your career, in trucks or round trucks, it, on your air. What would what event would it be? If you can go back in time, and one, just one event, what would it be? One moment, one event.
0: Can I give you more than one?
1: You can give me uh, as many for the next 20 minutes, if you like. <laughs>
0: I would love to do uh, Jesse Owens um, uh, in the Olympics uh, when he won his gold medals. I think because of the intersection of what was going on in the world at that time, I think that's a fascinating story and his accomplishments, especially, you know, where he did it, um, um, in front of whom he did it. um, I think it was just one of the great accomplishments in the history of, of sports and to be able to document that and to be able to weave in the historical uh, significance of what the, you know Nazi Germany was doing, what the world was like at that time, I think would be fascinating. Um, another event that I would have loved to have produced that I actually was lucky enough to be at was the first time Muhammad Ali fought uh, Joe Frazier at Madison Square Garden, which in many ways up to that point was the largest sporting event just in terms of relevance to what was going on in society. Um, it was such an enormously big event, you know, there were people who loved Muhammad Ali, there were people who hated him because the stance that he took about not being drafted into the army to fight in the Vietnam War. You had two personalities who were completely and totally different from Smoke and Joe Frazier and, um, um, and Muhammad Ali, so I think that would have been so much fun to produce all the hype. I would have come on the air you know, three hours before the event and talk to everybody in the arena. You know, Frank Sinatra, if you might remember, was the official photographer for one of the magazines. I mean, there was there were celebrities, there were politicians. It was just an event that the entire world was focused on, so that would have been fun. And the third one I would say is um, I grew up a huge Joe Namath fan. Uh, Joe's victory in Super Bowl three after he had predicted the Jets were going to win such an incredible upset, a, a, a good game, but a game where the, you know, the AFL or the, at that time it was, I guess, the AFC, they converted over, really um, supplanted itself as a, as a power in the NFL. And just to document, you know, my hero's uh, crowning achievement, Joe Namath, would have been really fun to do. So those, I could pick five more, but those three events, I think, transcended uh, athletics and transcended sports and really seeped into the overall conscious of, you know, of the American public, those three events would have been awfully fun to produce.
1: I share Super Bowl three with you. Uh, that would have been one of my, if, if I was asked that question, that would have been one of the things I would have loved to have been involved with because of what it meant yeah. uh, historically and uh, what it meant to the game of football and what it meant to you know, but to me personally, growing up, uh, Namath was was my hero as well, one of my heroes. So, uh, yeah.
0: If good, you were ask choices. me what um, <clears throat> you know, what event I, I that I've covered that has been the most um, um, enjoyable and have have the most impact, I would say it's it's two. It's one. It's Tiger Woods' victory in 1997, which was historic, historic and the most watched. Uh, Golf tournament ever and then I'd bookend that with his victory last year at Augusta that I would say is the you know, the greatest Comeback in the um, in the history of sports, you know, having won his, you know, last masters 22 years after having won his first masters 11 years, you know, since his um, You know last major championship to come back from all the struggles and you know the scandal and the medical issues I think both of those, um, if if my career were to end today, I would say those two events, if they bookended my career, which I I have, because that was the first Masters I did for CBS, I would uh, would consider my my career in television very successful if those are my two bookends. Well, your
1: your career in television has been extremely successful, and uh, those are interesting answers and uh, well stated, Sean. I have uh, have one final question. Uh, Sure. I had the privilege of working with your dad when I was at ABC, your dad, the legendary Jim McKay, host of Wide World of Sports, host of the Olympics, host of so many things, and a a constant presence on on American television for four decades, Um, and a a true gentleman, and I understand why why you're such a gentleman, because I I worked with your dad, and he was one of the greatest people I've ever known. I mean that uh, not only on air, but I mean just as a, a human being. What was it like growing up having being your dad, Jim McKay? What what influence did he have on you, and, and what was it like growing up with having him as your dad?
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate, first of all, the really kind words, because he was the ultimate gentleman and he was the ultimate professional. But growing up with him, except for the fact that he was away most weekends, uh, which meant that he couldn't see some of my athletic um, Achievements probably too strong a word, but athletic competitions—that was a real downside for my family and for my mom. But the good news is, is that he more than made up for it when he was home during the week, and being able on every vacation to go to, um, you know, the U.S. Open Golf Championships or the Olympics or the Kentucky Derby or the World Water Skiing Championships in Cypress Gardens or the, or the World Barrel Jumping Championships in in uh, Grossinger's New York, it was so much fun to watch the world of sports through his eyes. And he would come back from an event like the Twenty Four Hours of Le Mans and just tell me these stories about AJ Foyt and um, you know, all the other drivers. And it was it was just a great way to grow up and he taught me so many lessons instinctively about storytelling and, you know, what what makes a good broadcast and what makes a good announcer that I knew from the time I was 12 years old, really, what I wanted to do for a living. And it was to be in sports television. I I wanted to be a producer, and I I was fortunate to get involved in in management also later in my career. But I mean, growing up with him as a father was the best thing ever. And, um, you know, it, it, um, it really, as I said, cemented in me what a good broadcaster is. And it cemented to me also what a good you know, what a good man should be, and it should be someone who is dedicated and someone who works really hard and someone who puts a high priority on his profession, but not to the detriment of his personal life. And he was, you know, a great father and a great husband and eventually a great grandfather, and as much as he accomplished um, in the television booth, you know, the most important thing to him was his, his family. He used to say when people would ask him you know, what's, what's your favorite trip that you get to take? And he would say, my favorite trip is my trip back home after an event. So it was, I consider myself incredibly fortunate to have him as a, as a mentor and as a role model and as a friend uh, who really taught me from the ground up from the time I was a little boy a lot about sports television. And the good news is, John, and, and you just echo it, that wherever I go still today, it happens really on a regular basis. Someone will come up to me and say, you know, I work with your dad at the, you know, the 1983 Kentucky Derby, and he was such a gentleman to me, you know, I was only the production assistant, but, you know, he was incredibly, um, you know, incredibly generous, wanted to know about me. you have time for one more story? Sure. Sure. Um, this was really brought home to me a number of years ago. I was in the studio for NFL coverage, and one of our, um, our uh, researchers named Matt, uh, who works for us on the weekends, came up to me and said, I've got to tell you a story about your dad. He said, I was a, um, a waiter in the Brown Hotel in Louisville during the Kentucky Derby, and he said, your dad... Um, every morning for four days straight, had room service, had the same thing, and I said, I know what it was. It was two eggs over easy, and English muffin, and crisp bacon. He said, that's exactly right. He said, but every time I went to your dad's room, and he would be there, you know, in his bathrobe, I would go to your dad's room, and we would have a conversation, whether it was about my family, whether it was about his family, whether it was about the Kentucky Derby and who your dad thought was going to win the race. And he said, listen, most people sign the check and say thank you, and off they go. But each time, he forged a bond with me and formed a friendship with me. So, you know, I still, when he was alive, I still would occasionally send him a note, and I remain in contact with him. That's just a, a perfect quintessential Jim McKay story that he made friends and started a relationship with the waiter from room service at Brown's Hotel in 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 louisville kentucky and there's a million stories like that that i hear all the time and it's one of the you know the great benefits that that his memory and his presence still lives on today in the stories that people are telling me
1: so many of the superlatives that you just uh, spoke of of your dad uh could be applied to you sean i mean they just could be so uh you are a gentleman and you are great at what you do and you're always considerate of, of everyone and um you know, it's it's a business of it's a, a lot of our business is ego. A lot of our business is uh, is um, situations that centered on about being self-centered, unfortunately, and not all, but a lot but you know what you you're not self-centered you're not you're you're not about yourself you've always been about other people and you are that kindness and you you and how you raised your family and so many things about you shawner are, are reasons to be applaud you as a, not only as a, a professional but as a person so i say that knowing you have many years as i know you and i thank you for all the time you gave us this morning to uh, to, uh, be I on do. It was call.
0: fun. I'll do it anytime time. And uh, good luck to uh, to the Yankees, Flip. I know you're rooting hard for them, and uh, they look pretty powerful right now.
1: So far, so good. But still, got it. We still got a ways to go here. But uh, thank yeah. you, Sean. I will pass that on to the Yankees. All
0: right, Flip. I'll talk to you soon. All right,
1: Sean. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye.
2: You know, Flip, when uh, you said, "Hey, let's get Sean McManus on," I knew it was going to be good.
1: I didn't know it was going to be that good. Oh, he's excellent. I mean, the experience that he has, uh, I mean, he's one, of the, he's one of the great executives in all of sports television. Um, he's, been, uh, he's been a force in the industry for, for a, well, he started 40 years ago, so he's been a force in the industry for at least 25 years because he's had senior management positions, and he's excelled every, every, every stop of the way for him. He's excelled. And what I really like about Sean is not only his, what, the imprint that he's had on sports. You could, I mean, you could tell. what a visionary he is how smart he is how much fun he is how people love to work for him it isn't just it's that's a lot of it but but at the end of the day he's just a very special person who has uh you know, who uh, took the lessons that his dad, you know, taught him, and and, and he took it to another level. Just the sensational—I can't say enough good things about Sean. The we're term, lucky to have him as a guest. The term gentleman was tossed around a couple yes, times. truly. And,
2: and wow, right? Truly. I, mean, I didn't know his father, but you could tell that Sean truly is a gentleman. His father was great.
1: His father was one of the great human beings uh, that I've ever worked with, and uh, not only excellent at his craft. I mean, we, we, know, when we were remiss. We should have asked him about Munich and his recollections of—I mean, obviously, he was very young then, but his dad's— recollections of munich which were incredible i remember mean going watching the olympics and the israelis uh, were uh palestinians had taken israelis hostages at the olympics and um the uh, uh they they were, they were killed and and jim mckay came on and said they're all gone i yeah. mean it was such a gripping one of the, the biggest moments in the history of sports television and his dad obviously was at the epicenter of it he was. We talked about at
2: the beginning of this podcast um, series way back a couple months ago that we would take people behind the scenes, uh, and I think Sean McManus, we
1: delivered on that. You, you know, what? it was good to do because, you know, we've done a lot of, obviously, we've done a lot of... Uh, you know, player, baseball players, and we've done a lot of people behind the microphone, and you know, it's been fun, and, and that's obviously the principal part of our podcast is, is that is that mission statement. But the other part of it was to sort of teach people or get people behind the scenes of sports media, and and I mean, you can't get higher than the chairman of CBS Sports, so that was great, of Sean, to do for us, and uh, and he was he was he's a good interview, he's a lot of fun.
2: He was a lot of fun. Let's move on, Flip. Before we do, very important, please everybody, rate, review, and subscribe. Please tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them to search Curtain Call wherever they listen to their podcasts. Again, I can't stress how important those reviews are. We read them all. Um, like I said last week, we don't like them all, but we read them all.
1: Most have been pretty good. You know, yeah. You one or two, uh, but for the most part, uh, the ones we've gotten have been very good. So we appreciate it. We appreciate your feedback, you know, and thank you for participating in this and and, and following us and supporting us. And on Twitter,
2: we are at Curtain Call. Yes, please follow us there. Tell us what you want to hear from us. We will
1: listen. Let's move on. I almost called you John. Yeah, no, Sean kept calling me John. I know. John. <laughs> I know. That. My 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 late mother, when she used to get angry at me, she said, "John, she go be John." You know, it's like, but uh, that's uh, Sean is always, you know, he's very proper. Well, he's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. That's right. He's a true gentleman, actually. That's two weeks in a row. Remember, Buck was calling you John too. I know. It's good. People get a habit of calling me John. <laughs> it's all right.
2: All right. I want to move on to the "How smart or how dumb are we?" segment. If you remember last week, we made some predictions about the
1: ALDS. And now we're going to see if they came true. Be- we did, we, do, uh, we talked about a lot of things besides the ALDS. But, but uh, yes, it, it was because the LDS hadn't been played yet when we recorded the podcast. So we were going to say, well, how smart are we? How dumb are we? We're just moving around the tea leaves to see if we could figure this out. So Overall, I think we did pretty average. I think we did, <laughs> That's
2: right. I think we did pretty average. Probably. it's probably right. Well, because I'm saying this, I think the
1: headline is I predicted a Yankee sweep. You did. I you did. Because I took the Yankees in four, and you said— well, I can't take him at four because because you took him, so I'll go with a sweep. <laughs> and
2: you were right; turned out to be right. All right, one nothing Sullivan. Uh, you said Flip that the series would come down to pitching. Um, I pushed you. Yeah. I said, "No, you sure
1: you don't mean home runs?" And you still said pitching. Uh, you know, uh, postseason play is uh, a lot of times, most times, is dictated by pitching and. I just, you know, I, I know the Yankees have, have had questions about their starters. But, I, you know, I, I thought Tanaka should have started. But it's, he pitched, started the first game. He started the second game. I, I thought that their starting pitching, you know, did the job for them. They gave them enough innings. Uh, and then the bullpen, which is the, really one of the strengths of the team. Was able to was able to you know command the rest. So between their ability to yeah, decent starting pitching, I mean Tanaka, Tanaka was except so was Severino, actually, they did a real, Paxton was okay. Their starting pitching held. They held the fort. The bullpen was, really did the job. And the Yankee offense just sort of wore everybody down. I mean, they just almost scored runs at will. And they did something besides home runs, which I talked about, was to create runs. They created runs. They would get your walks at critical times. They stole a base or two. They went from first to third on base hits. They did everything to put pressure on the Twins, to put pressure on that Twin defense. And in Game 3, I must tell you, and I've been following this a really long time, I can't remember a game where a team so dominated another team defensively. The Yankees made five or six outstanding plays defensively that every, it really denied the Twins when they were knocking at the door and had a chance to get back in the game. The Yankees denied them because of their defense. It was an incredible display of leather. Advanced scouting.
2: That's what that is because they were placed in the right spot every time.
1: And it helps if you're judging you're six seven and you can kinda of go up and grab a ball <laughs> that was over your head. I mean, and, and LeMayu made some outstanding plays. Made some, Didi made a, a couple of really good plays. Torres made a play from you know, so the Yankees were just they made plays everywhere you turned. The Yankees made made plays. And to me, to me the different the Yankees were just a much better team. They're a much better team than the Twins.
2: All right, let's see how smart you were. Uh we already decided I, we said Tanaka, it was Paxton in game right, one, so right. we were wrong there. The bench we assumed uh, 13 pitchers, and they carried 12, so we were wrong there. So well, that kind of messed our bench.
1: Yeah, well, but but you know, but you get it. Look, I mean, the idea that they took the extra position players, I, I mean, I understand that it's it's a postseason roster, and the Yankees were, you know, it was there were a lot. They were faced with a lot of hard decisions, and quite candidly, I would have taken Ford. I mentioned that that's I where I was going. Yeah, I, I would have taken Ford. I love the left-handed bat. I like his presence. Uh, they didn't, Voight didn't really have a, a I don't did Voight play at I all? I didn't think he played I, at I all. I don't think he played at all either. So, you know, th- that was a question. Do you take Voight? Do you take Ford? Listen, they have their reasons for doing it. And Carnarcion stepped up. He was terrific. For someone who hadn't played, you know, had been out, had all the injuries he had, he did a great job. I mean, at the Yankee offense... As did the bullpen, as were their starters, as were their manager. We should talk about Boone a little bit. Boone did a really good job of trying to manage all that. I mean, when changing pitchers every, you know, every third pitch, you know, you've got to know, you've got to have a plan about who's facing who, what matchups, or what. A lot of that comes from Brian Cashman and his front office people. But but the reality is that they, Boone has to manage this. Boone did a really good job of managing. Pressed he, all the right buttons. You check every box when it comes to the Yankees. Yeah. You game do.
2: three, Adavino threw four pitches, and in my head, I'm like, why are they taking him out? But you know what? Boone was right. It was a great call. I want to move on real quick uh, to the Uber chants. That's uh, one of the things making its way around Twitter. Um, of course, they were directed at Randy Dobnik, the Twins pitcher. Uh, controversial, I guess. Some Because he people was an calling, Uber driver. He, correct, was, he had been an Uber driver. Correct. Yes, thank you. Um, what's your take on that,
1: fans calling, chanting Uber? Uh, I, I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I think it's part of home field advantage. I mean, the crowd has a right to chant, I mean, other than yelling obscenities, which I think shouldn't happen because you have a lot of kids in the stands, and and it should, or watching on TV, the, the obscenity part, we do it out, and I, I think that the players do a good part of controlling that for the most part, but... Outside of that, I mean, I think you have a right to – or, you know, something that would cause a riot. Outside of that, I think you have the right to express yourself. And, looks if it gets on the other team's nerves and it bothers them, so be it. That's part of home field advantage. That's why you chant for your team, and that's why, you you know, you cheer your team on. And if, it, if you rattle the opposition in the process, well, then so be it. I think, again, part of home field. That's why you want home field advantage. When I went to Minnesota, I'm sure the fans were chanting things about the Yankees. You go to Boston, I know what they chant about the Yankees. <laughs> and, it's Boston, and it's not good. And it's not good. So, I mean, that's part of what a home field is and actually is a way of showing support for your team and again as long as it doesn't get uh, it, it get to a point where it's you know there's there's obscenities or whatever uh, uh, it's fine I it's, mean I'm, I'm fine with it's it all. so
2: fine and I I, I don't want to hear oh it's Yankees fans oh it's the Bronx the same thing would have happened if the Twins were playing Oakland in Oakland it, it's
1: any ballpark it's yeah. any, any any fan base supports their team right and, and and part of supporting your team is to you know cheer them on that's what fans are supposed to do Last week
2: in our In the Truck segment, which we are renaming. What do you want to rename it, Jason? It's our quasi-producer? You had, you had a good Underscore name. Underscore quasi. He's really really <laughs> our
1: engineer and our, our researcher, and, and he's our quasi-producer. We're going to rename it. We'll figure out what it is. QP. Um, he's the QP. He's the QP. <laughs> it,
2: it, was, it was on the road uh, to pay homage to Jack Kerouac.
1: Homage.
2: Okay. Uh, we, who,
1: who was, whose voice was that? That was
2: QP Jason Marshall. Uh, oh,
1: I see. I see. <laughs> I wonder where that voice came from.
2: Well, we promised three earthquake stories last week. We only did I two. Know, I know. Because uh, we well, were. Was that
1: pre smart. We'd go back to how smart or How dumb <laughs> are we?
2: So let's get that third uh, earthquake story out of the way, as promised.
1: Oakland. Um, I wasn't in a truck. I, I was. I was civilian. You're on the road. Uh, yeah, I had. We worked on the. It was NBC's last game uh, for a couple of years. Uh, we, we we thought even ever, uh, baseball game was. Uh, we played. It was the Cubs and the Giants in the L- National nationally LCS, and I had produced that. And uh, and, the, and uh, the Giants had won in five. And then the Bay Area series was Oakland and the Giants, and or Oakland and San Francisco. And uh, I remember, I remember the the feeling of the rumble, the feel and sensing. Doing no, it's an earthquake. I'd been in a couple. Uh, and I remember looking up and I saw the light stanchions, you know, and swaying in Oakland like going back and forth i had never seen anything like that in my life that was that was scary um and but i must tell you the crowd was uh, the fans were incredibly well behaved and and and, and new to and, and calm i mean calm was the sense you got and i think that you know why because most of the fans were californians yeah they'd been through it. they'd been through earthquakes before they knew sort of how to deal with it i guess i mean me not being there i was uh didn't know exactly what, what to do, but again, I had been in a few, so I just, you know, I remained calm like, and, and just, you know, hope for the best. And, but it was scary because, again, to see the light stanchions going, I mean, they were really swaying, too. They really were. I say, so if that breaks something happens, my God. I mean, you could have, who knows what can happen in here. And it was—I uh, mean—it was a devastating earthquake in the Bay Area. I mean, the Bay—the bridge—you the, know—the bridge went out. The Bay Bridge went out. Oh, they lost portions of the Bay Bridge. Some people were killed. I mean, it was—it was not a—it was a horrific kind of uh, experience. But—but but that was the third earthquake. The other—the other two. One was at the Rose Bowl. Uh, in, what was it, 1979? Was, and then the one was, I, we, we, talked, we talked about the one where I was at a meeting in California in Southern California and uh, there was an earthquake in the middle of the night. I had run down the, uh, the stairs and I met Larry King in the lobby and we talked about all that. So, you know, th- those are my, that's my three earthquakes. So yeah.
2: next time you go to California on business, do not take me. They yes. They seem to, they that, seem to th- follow you. That's true. They seem to do.
1: They seem to do. And, 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 we, and we, when we were at the uh, early years of yes, we, we took everybody to Japan Matsui was, had signed with the Yankees and there was an exhibition game and the of course the season was going to open in Japan but the, we played an exhibition game against the Tokyo team and, which was Matsui's former team so I was there and I said boy if there ever was an epicenter of earthquakes, it's, it's, <laughs> it's that part of the world too I mean Japan has got yeah. quite a few of them so it's an experience to be through it I don't recommend it but if you go through <laughs> it uh, just try to stay calm and, and uh, you know, and, and, um, you know yeah, take your vitamins take your vitamins yeah.
2: you sound like the Hulkster the hoax. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, the as promised third story, third earthquake story. Let's talk about the ALCS, the upcoming ALCS between the Yankees and the other team. We should note that. Yes. As we record this, we don't know who the Yankees are playing. No.
1: Well, we know it's one of two, right? So it's either Houston or Tampa Bay. So
2: prediction: Who is it?
1: Houston. Uh, same here. I mean, although you know what, I, you know, I, I'd said at some point that you know, people were not giving the Rays enough credit. The Rays are a really good baseball team, and they're extremely well-managed, and their front office is extremely good at finding the parts that they need to make this work. I mean, they are the sum of a lot of parts, and most of these players, with, with the exception of one or two, are really role players, but they, they know what their role is, and Kevin Cash uses them as well as you can, you could use these parts to to get the result that he gets. They are you; they're very big on sabermetrics. They excel at sabermetrics, and um, and it's it's made a difference. So you could tell how, how well organized the 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 Rays really are. Having said that, Houston has got so much talent. I mean, and Cole was pitching tonight. I mean, I yes, they had their way with Verlander. I don't know that they'll have their way with Cole. I mean, I'm going to I'll pick Houston. But uh, I give the Rays a lot of credit and if they get there I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm but I go with Houston.
2: I wouldn't be shocked either. they the Rays are a good club. Um given that the Yankees pay a lot of my paycheck. I'm rooting for the Rays, right? Because don't you think they'll have a better shot with the Rays?
1: Uh they're gonna have a the Yankees have a tough time with either. I think I think the Houston will give them a tough time. The Rays will give us a tough time too, because playing first of all, we got playing in House of Horrors down there, which oh, is yeah. that's a nightmare. With a the ball. rings. Oh, it's, I don't know what they're Ring doing down D-A-B. there. It, it's, it's just the, the, the roof that the one I was supposed to hit, and yet everybody, every game somebody hits it. Uh, so you've got the roof, you've got the catwalk, those arcane ground rules. I mean, it's just a house of horrors to play in for the Yankees, and it has been over the years. I'm supposed to raise, raise, know the Yankees. That's, that's the, the benefit when you scout, and also the disadvantage because each team knows each other so well because we play them, what, 19 times? So, you know. Right it's, it's You know There's a lot of familiarity there Well while I said I'd like the Rays
2: To be honest um, I'm not Yes the, Don't get me wrong The Astros are great I'm not afraid of them though I do think the Yankees Are a better team
1: I think the Yankees Right now Are better than either one of those teams Yes uh, And I, I, I think the Yankees will, will win And I think the Yankees Will win the World Series Let's do this Yankees How about that <laughs> We didn't even get to the CS I, I know But I'm just I'm just going there I'm, I'm All right Because that's where I would go I, if they don't win then then they don't win but I I, I really have a, a great sense and a great feel for the Yankees. Uh, you know, I think Minnesota was a little misleading. I don't think Minnesota is is a great team by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't. I think their pitching left was was very was very suspect and their bats are fastball hitting team. The Yankees figured out They'll throw him fastballs, duh. If you could, other than Severino, whose strength is the fastball, well, he's ball, a fastball, and, and, yeah. So he had to sort of go that way. But everybody else that came in, they reverse engineered. They went backwards. The Yankees they threw a lot of curveballs, they threw sliders, curveballs, changeups, anything that they could to get them off the rhythm, and especially in fastball counts.
2: Assuming our prediction does come true, and it's the CS Yankees and Astros uh, bullpen is better for the Yankees. Let's give the edge there, right? That's a, without a doubt. I like the lineup better for the Yankees. You know,
1: yeah, I mean, I I do, too, although, you know, I mean, the the Astros, man, I mean, you know, their third baseman is out of this world. I mean, he is out of this world. And I, I, I really like their their composition of that team. They can hit. They can feel they can run. I mean, yes, they've had their trouble in Tampa Bay. But you know, look, this team they won 107 games. Yeah, they're good. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm saying they're very good. Let me do this. And f- one and two in the Cy Young voting are going to be, you know, Verlander, Cole, Cole, Ver- Verlander, yeah. whatever. It's going to but that's going to be it. So you look at that and you go, "Okay. So that's 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 some pretty strong stuff. So they're a really good baseball team. Let's let, let's not overlook that or get past that. The Yankees are going to have their hands full with either one of these two teams, like I said, but I still think the Yankees win it.
2: Uh, correct. Verlander or Cole Big-game pitchers. Granky. we learned,
1: again, is not. He hasn't shown up as a big-game pitcher. I mean, I think he's very capable, although he's got great stuff. And, uh, you know, he's listen, to him, it's all mental. It's None of this is physical because his, phys, his physical stuff is great. I think things get in his head sometimes, or at least that's been his history. So I, I don't know if that continues. But if he's your three, you know, there are very few teams that can throw That's your number three guy is, you know, Zach Granky. That's a pretty good three. Yeah, no, that's
2: a good three. Going back to the lineup. Yeah. What would you rather have at the bottom of your lineup? Eight and nine. Would you rather have Gregorius, Didi Gregorius, and Gio Urshela? Or do you want Torinos and
1: Reddick? Well, obviously the Yankees have that advantage. The Yankees have yeah. a circular lineup, and, that, and that's one of their strengths. Is like, how do you pitch to this team? I mean, I think that was the conundrum that Minnesota faced. Was how about that conundrum? Uh, yeah, I think good. that was the conundrum that they faced. Was how exactly do you pitch to this team? Because if you know, if look, if the if the you know, pick your poison. I mean, everywhere you went, if if the three guy didn't get you, the four guy got you. They really are a pass the baton team. The Yankees, they really are next man up. They they truly are. You know what? I I don't. I'll draw, I'll draw the walk. I'll get on base. You can get a hit. I'll get a hit, and then you can. I'll, I'll get on base too, and then you can drive me in. the Next guy. I mean, that's their mentality. They played so much small ball. People didn't realize because that you get you get caught mesmerized by the home runs. They played a lot of small ball. They created a lot of runs. That's what I liked about it. There's two things you win in a the postseason. There's two things. It's pitching and it's run creation. I mean, defense, obviously. But pitching and run creation, if I had to pick two, got to be able to pitch and you got to be able to create runs. Because most teams have pitching in the postseason. So runs become scarce. They become out of premium. It's not like the regular season. You play a lot of teams that are not as good as the Yankees. You get to the postseason, you, whatever you want to say about Tampa Bay and Houston, they're certainly at a level that's either at the Yankee level or so right around the Yankee. these games will be evenly matched you get regular season matchups you get a lot of teams that are uneven they're not the same matchups this is a real litmus test for you that's why you, if the Yankees get past this and, and they get past St. Louis or, uh, or the Nationals which I think they can they're good teams too so you know it's a good litmus test
2: and uh, one of the benefits for the Yankees is they can line up their starting rotation however they want Whereas Houston won't be able to, or the Rays won't be able to. Uh,
1: That's too bad, isn't it? Yeah, I'm losing sleep. I'm losing sleep (laughs) over it.
2: Jason Marshall, RQP, do we have a drum roll? Because I got the big segment coming up. We got one. All right. All right, let's edit. Wow, that was good. Let's edit that out and put a real one in. And put a real one in. Okay. (laughs) It is time, flip, for dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera.
1: Dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera. I'm ready.
2: And the obligatory, I didn't name it, you did. Okay. Um, let's uh, start
1: off with... But I t- Please
2: don't keep saying that.
1: <laughs> I, I said that in a moment of true weakness.
2: <laughs> I'm never changing that segment name. Okay. Uh, for those who don't know, this segment is just a quick potpourri of various items. I love the word potpourri. Sounds good coming, on, coming out of the mouth.
1: Uh, that's good. It's not a conundrum. It's not a conundrum, <laughs> though. <laughs> there you
2: go. I want to start with Oakland. Uh Commissioner Manfred has threatened to move the A's to Vegas. That's news that came out
1: this week. What's your thoughts on that? It's, it's interesting. After all, the I mean the Black Sox scandal that nearly ruined baseball, and uh, the baseball's you know obviously gambling is an aberration of baseball or was. Uh, but you know, listen, times change. Uh, society, you know, uh, has the changes over time as well. And uh, Las Vegas is an interesting place. Uh, it's obviously a big, a large, growing. Area population is you know every year keeps going up and up. Uh, it's very desirable for a sports franchise. The Raiders are you know will be there, and uh, at some point and. Uh the, the, a lot of rumors every time you hear a team moving you know, uh, Las Vegas seems to be at the top of the list So, and they've supported their hockey team very well Yeah. so I mean there is a base out there so I, I, I have thoughts that yes it's a good place to go they've got to get out of Oakland uh, if, let's they get a new stadium if they get a new stadium look they had 50,000 people show up for their playoff game there is support there really is but that stadium makes it very difficult the Rays have the same problem that stadium just is not conducive to you know wanting for the, the world of entertainment that we live in now the world of you know, all these amenities and these new stadiums you need that to to sort of exist to to grow and that but if you don't have if you're in a, a, a stadium that's so archaic that the plumbing backs up you got to get out of there <laughs> yeah, mean, that's a good idea and yeah. that's and that's but that's what's happened in oakland they need to get out of there what makes a stadium anyway
2: a, a a truly savage move by uh commissioner manfred in my opinion because he's hitting oakland where it hurt where it hurts because the raiders played in oakland and went to vegas so now he's saying I'm going to take the A's too and send them to Vegas.
1: You know, this is about. This isn't just about up getting up and moving. This is really about the new, both teams getting new stadiums. Yeah. Tampa Bay going to Montreal. I. Mean, Yes, that's a really nice—that's a nice leverage to have, and it's leverage you need. But, I mean, if if this, if this those cities are, are serious about keeping those teams, they'll get them new stadiums. And if they're not, then they'll move—the the A's will get out of there, go to Vegas, and, and Tampa goes to Montreal. I mean, I, and that'll be that. And, you know what? And those two cities will look back, and they'll regret the day they let those teams go.
2: So, Flip, yesterday was the anniversary of 1996 ALCS Game 1, the Jeffrey Mare oh, game. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. What are your memories? Richie of Richie Garcia was the umpire. Ah, Richie. Yeah, uh, and by the way, one of the better umpires in, in baseball at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was. Listen, it, if there was <laughs> if there was replay, everything would have changed, right? Because obviously, he did re- reach over and he did interfere uh, with uh, Tony Turesco was the right fielder. If oh, I great, pointing up, remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and. Uh, you know, and it, he truly did uh, interfere. And it's funny because they picked it up. Costas was doing the games on television, and he picked it up right away. And John Miller, I think, was doing the games on radio, and I know he picked it up right away as well. So they knew right away it was fan interference. But Richie Garcia didn't see it as that, and and uh, you know, and uh, that is unfortunate for the Orioles. But it was a break for the Yankees. But I also believe because the Yankees were the 1990 was one of their great year, epic years, one of the best years in their franchise history. I tend to think they would have found a way maybe because they won so many games later on. Playoff game, maybe they would have won the game. Maybe they wouldn't have, and we won't know, but listen, that's why you have to play the games, but it was one of the more interesting plays and it did change a lot of things in baseball. Or It led to replay was one of the first thoughts they had that maybe we need to take another look at plays that obviously should be overturned. And that was one obviously that should have been overturned. I don't think Derek Jeter who hit the ball would have said otherwise. No, no, I agree. What, What do you think Jeffrey Mayer's doing right now? He should have been in like media, you know, if I'm, if i I could be mistaken, but I don't think I am. He was once an intern here, at yes, oh wow, in, in very early years. I think he was. I remember. I think he came in my office and we talked about the play. Although you know, I can't say with certitude. Maybe, maybe it's, I'm confusing this with something else. But uh, I do think that maybe he was an intern. But anyway, he, I think he was a high school coach. He was coaching baseball high school level. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I was. A, it turned out to be. I mean, I, I know I've had conversations with him through the years, just because I have. And uh, he's a really, really, good kid, and he grew up to be a, a really good guy. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's teaching. That's the last night. I uh, haven't really spoken to him in years. But when last time I did speak to him, I, I was very impressed by him, by the way. I thought he was, he was very thoughtful and very uh, interesting individual.
2: So do you want a Kevin Sullivan fact
1: that nobody cares about? sure you could tie in jason marshall <laughs> <where
0: you're>
2: <laughs> oh but nobody cares about stuff <laughs> <laughs> sure come on sure. No, i'm jason so uh the qp jeffrey Mayer, right yeah you're saying he's uh, potentially a high school teacher and high school baseball coach i believe that's right that was for the longest time my dream in life to be a high school baseball coach and a history teacher
1: oh, i want to be a history teacher too isn't that funny yeah by, by the way it's not too late you is I, I that, that's, that's, it's, it's, yeah. that's, is that a hint no it's, just, it's, not, it's not even a suggestion it's just a it's a random thought uh i was i wanted to be a history teacher as well isn't that funny that's
2: that's that's why i think we connect so well tomorrow we
1: connect right yes it's not <laughs> H, we're not ancient history it's not ancient history no we connect
2: uh tomorrow october 11th will be the anniversary of pedro martinez throwing down
1: don zimmer your thoughts oh that was uh, it was reprehensible i mean I know, I know. Look, I know things happen in sports, and I know uh, the temperature. When it gets to a certain point, it boils over, and there's there's going to be altercations and scrums and all the other things that happen in sports. Uh, but for that to have happened, I mean, it's one thing to to, to take your frustration for Pedro to yell at at uh, Posada or you know you know take exception to some of the Yankee players, but to, to actually take uh, someone who was that much older and to throw him around the way he did was I mean I thought that was way out of bounds I mean and I, I'm not alone obviously I think if you ask pulled ninety percent of the world I think they'd say that was out of bounds even even in a heated moment you don't do that and I I know that I'm sure if you asked Pedro he'd say uh, he was sorry for that I know he's probably I think he's apologized over the years as well but but you know it's just it's obviously it's not a good thing yeah but, but you know what it did I mean the thing is it incited a riot I mean you almost had a riot in Boston between that and that incident what happened in the bullpen yes you know was was another incident with the uh, was it? Uh, let's see. I don't know, did, it was, was Jeff Kareem Nelson,
2: Garcia. Cream
1: Garcia was one of the one of the Red Sox players. I can't remember who the other one was now. It's the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember now who the other player was. But there was an incident in the bullpen. I mean, Jeff, Nelson Jeff Nelson. wound up yeah. in the scrum with them, and uh, uh, so the bullpens were going at it as well. Uh, and again, I don't I can't remember the second Red Sox player. But anyway, but it was uh, it was an interesting time, and it was a. Uh, I mean, and, and yeah, you, know, you put that together with people who've been. Drinking, you know, for a long time at a ball game. I mean the recipe of, you know, alcohol and and, and, and arguments, or, you know, fights I yeah. mean it could have uh, been worse. It could th- it could absolutely grow to something worse. So thank God nothing worse came out of it. But I mean it was certainly a historic moment and it was uh, one of the more interesting moments in playoff history for sure.
2: The bad blood between Boston and New York in that yeah. period was just through the roof, as they say. Uh we're running long, but we have to talk about the NLDS.
1: Yeah, we're running We're not running along? No, I I have to be home in two
2: days. I I have a meeting. I have have to get to the city. Oh, okay. Well, why
1: don't you call me from the car? (laughs) That's easier. (laughs) (laughs) Can
2: can we figure that out, Jason? Sure.
1: I'll call him from the car? Don't challenge him like that. (laughs) Please don't (laughs) do that to him. (laughs) I want to talk about the NLDS. Yeah.
2: More specifically, the uh, Cardinals and Braves series. For a couple of reasons. Uh, What a shellacking. Last night, as we yeah. record this Wednesday night, yes. in the first inning, I've never seen anything like it. Probably because there was never anything like it, right? Was that a record? Ten runs in the first inning? Uh,
1: if it wasn't, it should be. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was, but I, uh, you know, I, I don't have the record book in front of me. But it was a lot of runs, and it was a, uh, it was. I mean, effectively, it was like a, you know, a price fight that ends in five seconds. You know, yeah. It was something like that, akin to that. It was too bad uh, because it was actually a pretty interesting series. The Braves should have won it easily, not easily, but they should have won it if Acuna had, you know. Played harder in the first game than he did. He didn't run some things out, and it caused some problems in the clubhouse with his teammates. And, and well, it should. You don't play like that. No. You know you have a, you you have to you have a, especially in a playoff. The idea you sit there and you admire your artwork, you play a ball. Oh, let me just see where it goes. No, you run and you run out of the box and you run hard. That's the way you're supposed to play the game, particularly in the playoffs. So what was he thinking? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's and, and then just you know later on he you know was nonchalant at it. No, no, you don't. And and you know I, and I thought his manager was going to pull him because I tell you what if I Which managed can't. that team you would have I would I absolutely would have pulled him I'm sorry you you know what I, you can't play like that you know you you got to send a message and I know that you could do it's like cutting off your nose to spite your that's face that's what in I was just going to say and that kid is a great talent but you know where along the line you can't have him at, you can't have him do that somewhere along the line he's going to get in a lot of trouble so you have to straighten him out now you have to tell him that listen you do not play like that you don't play on my team like that. I mean, and, and I'm sorry. I, I don't know what it would have cost me. They lost anyway because they well, lost maybe because, because of, of him. Because well, be, game one, not be, they lost by one. And he also, drew, you know, home run. He did whatever he did. He's a he's a great talent. I mean, he's going to be in the in what the MVP boat. He'll be in the top five. He's a great talent. But he's got he's got to play better than that. You can't play like that. You got to hustle. You got to play the game the right way. I'm sorry.
2: You no, know, I agree. I think you're hurting the entire organization if you bench him. Maybe I, next season, I bench him for a month. I don't know, but I can't. He has to play in the postseason. Uh,
1: I would, if I, uh, I, I run the production for yes, and if somebody did something that was akin to that, I'd pull him off a show. Hmm. I wouldn't worry about the, the, I mean, you just can't act like that. You have to You have to have one set of rules, and they should apply to everybody, and they should apply to them equally. And I understand your point about an organization. I get it. Also, it's a playoff. I get that, too. I'm sorry. I would have pulled him. That's what I would have done. So maybe that's why I'm not a manager. Okay. Let's
2: talk uh, Nationals-Dodgers. Are you shocked by that outcome?
1: No, I, th- I thought the Nationals would win.
2: You were uh, on record saying the Nationals would win. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I like the Nationals. I think, uh, I think their days of uh, failing in the postseason are behind them. I think the, the way they rallied to win the wild card game was, was something else. And I think they showed a lot last night. I mean, well, as we record this, this game was – game five was last night. Uh, they showed me a lot. Yeah, they really did. And they, got, they have heart. They play hard. Uh, Rendon is some player. Oh yeah, he is some player. He is—he's one of the top. That's a top five talent in baseball. It really is, and I, he's going to be a free agent. And uh, he's
2: going to get paid.
1: Yeah, he'll get paid. I mean, as we talked about, uh, it's going to be tough to find a team though, because you know the teams, with the big market teams that have the money, the wherewithal here. I don't know. I mean, the Yankees are not going to sign him. The Red Sox are not going to sign him because they're—you know—I don't see the Cubs signing him. The Dodgers are not going to sign him. I mean, I mean the Nationals we, will sign him they put an offer out there. Yeah, I think it was thirty million a year. Two, yeah, and he turned it down. Yeah, so he'll, he'll sign it. I, he, you know that's probably the best place for him if he's happy there. And he, if he's happy there, obviously, but it seems like he is. His teammates seem like he likes them, and they like each other. So, you know, why not? But I, you know, I said that's a decision that only he can make. But but having said that, it's, he's a great player.
2: He doesn't want to go. It was it Ian Desmond who didn't sign the contract. Yeah, it did that cost, cost him. He turned
1: down a big contract because he thought he'd go on the market and do better. And he no one. And he signed for like a pittance, like a one year deal. At yeah, like a you know a fifth of the money or something. Sign yeah. the
2: contract. Come yeah. on. Yeah. All right. Prediction time. It's Nationals. It's Cardinals. Who do you like?
1: Nationals. Okay,
2: Nationals. I assume you're going to say in six, right?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds. That, that's right.
2: always the safe bet. Six.
1: You wanna take You wanna take different bet? I want to go seven? You feel better? Eight. How about nine?
2: <laughs> six. No, it's a good one. I like it. Nationals in six. Right. Uh I am going to say nationals in four.
1: They're not gonna sweep the Top cardinals. Take. Wow. You know, I like people who are bold. I think that's really bold. <laughs> it's also moronic, but but that's okay. I mean, really, you really think you you think they're gonna sweep them? The Cardinals. I mean, the the Nationals are a better team, but they're they're not a sweep better team. We'll see. We'll, okay. we'll come back here in right. two weeks. All right. We'll see. Now, would you save that clip, Jason? Because it's going to be famous one way or the other <laughs> on this show. Because either I'm really going to be, re- it's really smart or really dumb. Remember, let's go back to we haven't talked about really smart or really dumb. You know, we're really smart or really dumb. Uh, I'm leaning to that uh, am not. That's not so smart. Yeah, I, I picked the
2: Yankees as a sweep against the Twins.
1: I know you did. I know. So you think that you're gonna get lightning in a bottle twice? Yeah. You gonna, I'm okay. sweeping
2: this whole postseason. All
1: right, find a broom. Somebody get a broom. That's your new name broom? Broom, sweep. Wow, that's bold. I like that bold. Well, I don't know if it's good. makes no sense to me, but it's bold. It is bold. Yeah. I put
2: out this great tweet. Yeah. I'm at Sullivan. Yes. Uh, when the Yankees swept, yes. it was Randy Savage. Yes. Because they're savages. Yes. They are. And he was holding a broom. Yes. Sweep. Oh, there you go. Makes it. T- it's hilarious. Was that your GIF? Was it, it was uh, a GIF. Yeah. 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 Did you see it? Nobody liked it. Nobody retweeted it. Where are you if out you, there? If
1: you want me to retweet it now, yeah, can you? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. How do you retweet? <laughs> Teach me how to retweet, and then we'll work it from there. I'll
2: show you. I, right. I'll tell you. I need more love. Go back, take that, find that tweet, retweet it. Uh, speaking of Twitter, we're
1: on Twitter at Curtain Call. Yes, yes, we are. Yep, yep. I, I have those. Would to follow that up? What, yeah. What's my handle? I don't know what it is. Your flip yes. At Flip Yes, correct. Okay, that's what I'm at. So, of you want to find me, I'm at Flip Yes, and don't don't tweet me after two a.m. as I'm sleeping.
2: <laughs> uh, rate, review, subscribe, please. There Tell you your go. friends. Rate, review, subscribe. RRS. I'm gonna get a tattoo that says "Rate, Review, Subscribe." You should.
1: On you your head? <laughs> no, you got room there now. Put it up there. I got plenty of room Yeah, <laughs> So do I. Put it up there.
2: Uh, what do you think of that curtain call sign atop my garage? Uh, I think
1: it's great to support the brand. I think that's wonderful of you. Yeah. Very
2: nice. So, what's your wife think about it? She was shaking the garage door. finally came down.
1: <laughs> I told her, what Kevin Sullivan did. She's not putting that on my garage. Since. <laughs> my garage as opposed to our garage. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I got it. All right, what do you think? We land this thing? Yeah, let's land the plane, in the words of Ashley Fugazi. Let's land
2: this baby. For John J. Filippelli and the QP, Jason Marshall, I'm Kevin Sullivan saying we'll see you next week.